Mitchell Berean is a church that believes in circles. I mentioned this last week. You know, we sit in rows to learn. We come on Sundays and we sit in rows and we're here to learn. But we believe as a church that circles are important too. That we need to spend time uh, sitting and gathering together in a circle where we can encourage each other, where we can listen and talk, where we can be heard and hear others, where we can be encouraged in our walk with God. That's very, very important for us to grow as followers of Jesus. And so um, we have uh, this week, we started last week, but this week we continue to have life group signups. So there are tables out in the lobby. If you aren't in a life group yet, if you're not in one, I want to encourage you to go back there and check out those tables. There's some opportunities there. There's some groups with different age ranges and times of the week and places they meet and all that. I, I, I'm hopeful that you can find one uh, to join up with. Again, we're just doing like, uh, you know, we're going to start next week as a kickoff for our fall campaign. This is something we're doing together where our life groups are going to be studying the same thing as we're going to be talking about on Sunday mornings. And so we're going to move together unified together as a church in the same direction. And uh, it's real important that you guys be a part of a life group so that you can maximize, you can get everything out of it. Listening on Sunday mornings and what you learn here is a great piece, but if you have an opportunity to process that, talk with other people about it, man, it just enhances your growth in it, okay, and what you're going to get out of it. And so I just want to make sure that everyone has that opportunity to grow the most, you know, to maximize what we're doing. And so I want to encourage you um, to <clears throat> sign up for one of those and, and take part in this. Again, it's not a lifetime commitment right? You're just, it's just seven weeks starting next week. So, um, you know, you're not in the group forever, but I want to encourage you. I think you're going to be blessed by it and enjoy it. Friday night was a night of worship. I want to thank the worship team. A lot of people put a lot of effort into it, but that was a powerful night to worship together. And this morning, we're going to continue to look at Acts chapter two. So if you want to grab your Bible and uh, open that up or your Bible app, turn to Acts chapter two, verse 42. We're going to continue in this, pa- in this verse to examine what the early church was devoted to. Remember that the early church, um, <clears throat> these folks were the followers of Jesus that many of them had walked with him in his ministry, or at least some of them, a core group of them, <clears throat> had walked with him through his ministry. They'd seen him perform miracles. They'd seen him cast out demons. They'd seen him uh, preach authoritatively or teach authoritatively to the people. They had seen him have conflict and uh, how he handled that with the Pharisees and religious leaders. And so they were following him. They were excited about where he was going. And then all of a sudden, he was arrested. And they watched him as he was put on trial, falsely accused, found guilty, and then crucified on a cross. And they were disheartened. They didn't know what was going to happen, right? And they were like, what are we going to do? Our leader is gone. And then three days later, After he was buried in the tomb, he rose from the dead and he appeared to them. And he assured them over a period of time that it really was him. That he was alive and well. And then he said to them, listen, I'm not going to stay here on earth with you. I'm going to go back to heaven. There's uh, work for me to do there. But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to empower you. To indwell you. To ensure that you have the ability to do what I'm going to ask you to do. And then he commissioned them. To go and spread the gospel around the world. And this early church was incredibly effective at doing that. If you've read the, <clears throat> the New Testament, you know that the gospel spread quickly within the Roman Empire. It took over, right? Very quickly. 
to the point that Constantine, one of the last emperors of Rome, actually made Christianity the religion of the empire. <clears throat> so this was a powerful time. So what is it that made them so effective? Well, we're looking at this verse in Acts 2.42 because there's four things in here that are keys to their growth and effectiveness. They devoted themselves to some very important things. Acts 2.42 says this. Follow along if you've got it in your Bible or your Bible app. It says this. They devoted themselves <clears throat> to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Last week we looked at the first two, the apostles' teaching. We realized that we have the scriptures. They had the apostles' teaching that they listened to. We have the scriptures, which is their teaching that's been recorded and protected for us, so that we have that same direction for our, uh, for our lives and as a church. <clears throat> then we looked at also how they were committed to the fellowship, which is that koinonia, that um, connection that we can have with other Christians. And we can have that same thing. We're a body of believers here, and we can have fellowship with one another just like they did. And then this week, we're going to look at the next two. <clears throat> the first one's kind of fun. It's kind of cool that God made this a part of our spiritual growth, right? He made this a part of when Christians get together, is that the early church was devoted to sharing meals together, breaking bread. I'm just like, that's, how cool is that? <laughs> I mean, I love to eat. And uh, someone said this morning, I feel bad for people that eat to live, because I live to eat. You know what I mean? Um, I live in America, and there's way too much food. And I'm thankful for that, to be honest with you, because um, we get to enjoy that, and I like it. Um, Acts 2, 40, uh, verse 46, if you look down a couple verses, it says this, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The early church enjoyed getting together around a meal. They enjoyed that time where they got to uh, share, to relax, to spend time together, to get to know each other. And it really, <clears throat> God's understanding of our need to eat, he's really built it in as a, we have to eat to live. <clears throat> well, then he has put it into uh, one of the disciplines that we need to practice, which is meeting together and sharing a meal together. Oftentimes when the early church would meet, they would share communion or the Lord's Supper. And this was a special meal. The way that this got started is that um, Jesus, as he was nearing the time when he would go to the cross, the Passover, the time of Passover celebration come, uh, came about in the calendar. And you'll know that, remember, the Passover was when God led the uh, Hebrews out of Egypt. They'd been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And God used Moses, raised him up as a leader, to lead the people out of Israel. <clears throat> and so Passover was as a result of the last plague, the tenth plague that God uh, put on the Egyptian people because Pharaoh, their leader, would not yield. And God said, you're going to yield. I'm going to win this power battle. I'm going to win it. And so he continued to press Pharaoh to the point that he broke. And he was willing to let the people of Israel leave. And so uh, this last plague was where God was, again, ratcheting up what he was doing to, to, try, to uh, try to break Pharaoh's uh, pride and his will. And the last plague, God said, listen, I'm going to take your firstborn. I'm going to take the life of every firstborn child in your entire nation. That's horrific. And so Pharaoh said, um, <clears throat> No, I'm, I'm still not going to let the people go. And he, he uh, stiffened his back, stiffened his neck, and refused to relent. And so God brought this plague. He told the people of Israel, 
put, uh, you know, you're to sacrifice a lamb and, and prepare a meal before this night. And you're to take some of that blood and put it on the doorposts of your homes. And then when the angel of death comes throughout the land, he will see that blood and pass over your home. And so the nation of Israel didn't experience the death in their homes that the Egyptians did. And of course, we know after this that Pharaoh relented finally. But this Passover meal was important to the Jewish people. And so Jesus took this time to have one final meal with his disciples. Maybe you've had a special meal that you can remember. A time when, uh, you know, whether it was people that you love, people that you cared about deeply, but that meal will always kind of stick in your mind as such an important time of connection and relationship and bonding. And so I can imagine that Jesus, as he approached the end of his time on earth, was so looking forward to this. He told them about it. They, they made preparations. And this was important because he was going to initiate something for them that was new. But he was going to ask them to remember this and continue to do it until he returns. In Luke 22, we see a portion of this meal. Luke 22, <clears throat> Jesus uh, said these, th- this is what he did and this is what he said when he was with the disciples during this last meal. So it says he took some bread <clears throat> and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's saying, my body is being broken here. I'm going to give you a piece of it. I want you to continue to do this after I'm gone. Verse 20, he continues, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus used this loaf of bread and a cup of wine to illustrate that his body and his blood, right, his body was to be broken and his blood was to be shed, and that there was something new happening here. This wasn't just their leaders uh, going to trial and being crucified, but this was, a, this was a seismic shift in the way God deals with people. You know, uh, the Bible, if you look at, <clears throat> begin reading at the beginning and read through the Old Testament, you'll see that covenants that God makes with his people happen periodically through time. They're very important. They're a part of the history of how God has worked with men and women throughout time, through covenants. Uh, The Edemic, or the covenant with Adam, is the first one we see where God created Adam and Eve. He created the Garden of Eden, right? And he placed them in it, and he said, listen, guys, I'm going to make an agreement with you. You can eat anything you want in this garden. You have free reign. Enjoy it. Take care of it. But don't eat of one tree, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God made a covenant with them. He said, if you eat of this tree, on the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And of course, we know that they did eat of it. Uh, Satan came and tempted them, talked them out of believing God's word. And so they did eat of it. And on the day they ate of it, they brought a curse on the earth. They brought it on themselves, but also on on the earth. And so there's a curse of sin that we now live under. We also know that Jesus is uh, referred to in the scriptures as the second Adam. And so he came to fix the curse, to lift it. Now listen, we still live in a sinful uh, world. We still live in a sinful world. We struggle with sin. But because of Jesus and his death on the cross, his sacrifice and atonement, where he paid for our sins, we now have access to forgiveness and grace and freedom. We no longer have to live under the weight of our sin. Jesus acted to reverse or lift the curse that was placed 
through the Edemic covenant and, and human beings breaking it. Then if we move on, we have the Noahic covenant. This is the covenant God made with Noah after the flood. You'll remember that God chose to <clears throat> destroy the earth with a flood. He said, I'm, uh, people have gotten so bad, I wish I wouldn't have created them. You know, he was frustrated with the human race. And he said, I've got to, I've got to wipe the slate clean and start over. And so he chose Noah, who was a righteous man, and he protected him. He showed him how to build an ark and went through the flood, and God uh, destroyed the earth. It was horrific, disturbing. But, uh, but Noah was protected and preserved through that. And because of Noah, we exist. We get to walk the earth. But God made an agreement with Noah, a covenant. He said, I'll never again destroy the earth with a flood. And so that has not happened. He's kept his promise. Then we have the Abrahamic covenant. It's another big one that we find in Scripture. Abraham was chosen to be the first, the father of the Hebrew nation. God picked him and said, come and follow me. Go to a land that I'll show you. And he made a promise to him. He made a covenant. He said, I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you a land to live in. So you're going to have a a, a land for uh, for your nation. I'm going to make a people out of you. I'm going to give you descendants. And and you'll fill this country. And then I'm going to make a blessing, or I'm going to use you and your people to be a blessing to the world. And of course, Jesus came as the Messiah. And he fulfilled this covenant that God made with uh, Abraham and with his people. And God chose to bless the world through Jesus, the Messiah. And of course, Jesus coming and dying on the cross and uh, dying for the sins of the whole world made salvation accessible to everyone, regardless of race, <clears throat> whether Jew or Gentile. Then we have the Mosaic Covenant. This is the covenant that God made with Moses and the people of God as he uh, led them out of Egypt and gave them the law to live by and led them into the land or up to the land that he had promised them. Now, Moses didn't get to lead the people into the promised land because of something that he did in opposition to God or in disobedience to God. But, but Moses led the people to the promised land. And, of course, Joshua led them in. But Jesus came and established through the story we're looking at here a new Passover meal. And he established uh, new, um, new promises that, uh, that our sin would not, no longer be held against us but that we could experience grace and mercy and forgiveness. Then we have the Davidic covenant. David was the second king of Israel, and he was chosen because he had a heart for God. And God made a promise to David, a covenant with him, that he would create a, a kingdom through one of David's descendants that would last forever, that would never end. And of course, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the fulfillment of this, prophet, uh, of this prophecy and of this covenant. See, God kept his promise. He established a kingdom through Jesus who was in the line of David, which will last forever. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, recognized this in the book of Acts when they began to see Gentiles getting saved. They began to see um, people that weren't Jewish come come to faith in God and get saved and receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the prophet Amos when he prophesied that a kingdom would be established in the line of David. And so we see God fulfilling his promises through Jesus. Why did I tell you about all these covenants? Because Jesus, at this meal, is establishing what he calls a new covenant. This is a covenant through his blood. 
the one-time sacrifice for all sin that has wiped out sin, both past, present, and future, paid for all of it. And he says there's going to be a new relationship between God and man. This is going to work differently, and I'm making a covenant with you that if you put your trust in me and me alone, then you can have forgiveness of your sins and access to eternity with God. This is the new covenant. And so when we share a meal together, even if it's not communion, but when we get together as a church, when we meet as life groups and we share some food, in a sense, we're celebrating or we certainly should be remembering the new covenant, the opportunity we have to follow God in a new way, to trust him and to be connected to him uh, really in a much better way because of Jesus. Romans 6.23, that verse that you maybe have heard of before says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The new covenant says if you put your faith in Jesus and what he has done, God will wipe your sins away and bring forgiveness to your life and lift the curse of sin that we have lived under. We can have an opportunity to walk with God in a new way because of the covenant that he established through Jesus. Um, Eating together is so important. I have so many fond memories when I was a kid. You know, I grew up in the church and we used to have what we call potlucks. Anybody heard of a potluck? Yeah. Hey, potlucks were great, man. I mean, you got this whole smorgasbord of food. I mean, my mom was a good cook, but holy cow. I mean, you'd go to church and everybody brought these dishes. And they always brought like their best one. And so you're like, this is great. And, and it was like, seemed like there was an endless supply of food. I mean, as a kid, you know, I could eat a lot. And uh, I would get, I would have to tap out, you know, from a potluck because there was so much good food. Listen, <clears throat> when we share food together, it's a good time and we're supposed to do that. So we have fond memories, but also so that we look forward to meeting with each other. You know, we took some friends out to uh, dinner last week. We were celebrating a birthday and we thought, man, let's just have a good time and, and relax and enjoy ourselves. And we started to look at the menu. And you know what stinking restaurants have done now is they put the calories beside well, the dishes. Do you know how bad that is? Now, I don't personally care, man. I'll pick whatever it's out of. I don't, I'm not even looking at the calories. But for some people, this becomes a, like a detriment to them picking uh, what they want to eat and enjoying it. I just think it's, I don't know, man. Listen, though, we're, we're supposed to enjoy. So when we, when we gather together, if you gather in a, in a life group and you can, I encourage you to share a meal. I realize not everyone can do that. Sometimes uh, you're meeting here on Sundays between services, but I want to let you know, uh, Ernie's life group, man, he brought in his little uh, cooking, uh, I don't know, man, it's like an old disc off of a a disc. He made it into a thing to cook on. He puts his, uh, you know, turkey burner underneath it, and he made like, they made uh, burritos, like breakfast burritos or something. So you can even do it here, but (laughs) the point is I just want to encourage you uh, to share a meal together or to eat together. There's just a couple guidelines that we believe in in a church, and I, <clears throat> we believe in as a church, and I'm pretty sure these are biblical. First one is, make sure that it's good food. Make sure it's good food. Health food, uh, you know, might be good for you, but we all know. <laughs> a lot of times it doesn't taste that great. So listen, you can diet the rest of the week if you need to, but when you come together, 
when we come together as church, let's make sure it's good. Secondly, and this is kind of a serious one, but we abstain from alcohol when we meet as groups. And I got to hit on this because everyone has different viewpoints on this. We're not, uh, <clears throat> we're not sort of legalistic as a church one way or the other. But I would say this, when we get together as a church, and I've learned this through uh, very hard fought battles that I've learned the hard way, but it's a good idea to just leave alcohol out of it, okay? Uh, whether you personally feel like you shouldn't drink or can uh, is not the issue here. We're coming together as a church, and, and we want to make sure our focus is on God, that we're clear-minded, right? And that we can interact together uh, around Jesus and honor him. And I just think it's a good idea. It gets problematic for so many people. We have so many people that struggle with alcohol, and it's just become an issue in our culture. And so I just think it's wise to just say, hey, listen, I, you know, uh, for this one time of the week that I get together, I certainly can leave that out of it. So I would encourage you with that. And the last one, probably the most important, is that we don't want any kale served at our uh, life group meetings, okay? No kale. Here's the reason. Kale wasn't meant for human consumption. I'm pretty sure goats or something are supposed to eat it. Not people. I'm sure of this. Listen, kale might be a superfood, but its superpower is tasting horrible. We all know that. There are people that eat kale and they go, oh no, this is good. You know, they have those little kale chips. Come on, man. You're not fooling anybody but yourself, I'm pretty sure. I read this online. Somebody posted this. They said, I've now survived 21,364 days and 13 hours without either using essential oils or eating kale. <clears throat> Thank you for your prayers and support during these trying times. <laughs> hey, listen, in all seriousness, it is an act of trust when we invite people into our homes. There's some vulnerability to that. We open up our lives and say, hey, come on in. I want to get to know you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to allow you into the place where I live. And there's something uh, special about sharing a meal together too. We, we share meals with people that we value. And I know that we value each other in this church. We want to make sure that we're building that and growing it and encouraging it. So again, it's good news, man, that we get to eat together. But make sure that we do that and that we're honoring Jesus and that we're lifting him up. We're remembering what he's done for us. And we get to celebrate each other, uh, with each other, really, what God's done for us. So as we continue in this verse, the second thing that the, uh, and really the final thing that the early church was devoted to is they were devoted to praying together. They had a devotion. They were committed to praying together. And the scripture talks about prayer, I think, in a couple of different categories. Um, really kind of separates them out into two different categories. One is your personal prayer life. And that's important. We're all supposed to have a personal prayer life. The reality is we all personally get to talk to God, which is, which is amazing if you think about it. But we can access him any time of the day, all day long as we're going throughout our day. And this is important. The second part, though, that we see in scripture is praying as a community or praying together. And so we want to look at both of these this morning. The first one, personal prayer, actually is kind of talked a lot about by Jesus. His disciples, and I'm so glad they did this, they asked him, uh, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And so we have recorded for us God telling us how to talk to God. I mean, this is awesome. Uh, it's incredible that we have this and that uh, Jesus gave us this teaching and it's been preserved for us. And so <clears throat> here's what Jesus did. You got to understand that the culture he lived in was highly religious. It was culturally religious. I mean, the Jewish religion had been developed and there was a hierarchy to it and it was, it was cultural. It affected all of society. And so Jesus started off with some instructions that we may not relate to right away. But the first thing he said was, listen, when you pray, 
Don't go out in public and stand on a street corner and pray out loud so everyone can see you. Don't go into the, uh, into the um, tabernacle or into the place of worship and just uh, pray out loud so everyone can say, oh, how holy you, know, you are. Because he said, this is what the hypocrites do. This is what the spiritual leaders do. Now, I'm sure uh, if you went down, you know, to the corner in Scott's Bluff and prayed out loud or wherever, you know, I don't know if people would think you're more spiritual than anyone else. I don't know that you get a lot of reaction or uh, one way or the other. But the reality is in Jesus' time, there was a piety to this and there was a self-righteousness associated with it. And so Jesus said, don't do it like that. You know, if you're praying just so people can notice and, and give you credit, spiritual points, then you're, that's all you're going to get. Because it's not real. Prayer needs to be real conversation with God. And it needs to honor him. And so Jesus went on to say, don't babble. Don't like repeat the same thing over and over again. I know sometimes I've done this. You probably have too. Where you're just going, uh, you know, day two of a crisis. It hasn't been uh, fixed yet. And you're going, okay, God, it's me again. I don't know if you heard me yesterday. um, But (laughs) same thing's still going on. It'd be great if you did this. You know, and so sometimes we get the feeling that God doesn't hear us. But the reality is he does. He's working ahead of us. He's working outside of what we, uh, you know, Jesus said, you don't need to babble on because when you come to your father, he already knows what you need before you ask. So we have this incredible relationship with God where we can talk to him and where we come to him with our needs, with everything that's going on in our lives. And he already knows he's prepared. In fact, he's already working on it before we ask for it. But Jesus really uh, in the, um, in verse nine, where he really gives kind of a, an example of how we should pray. Again, this isn't a prayer that we're supposed to repeat all the time. That kind of goes against what his instructions are for the prayer. We're supposed to learn from it as to how to pray. And so this is what he says. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So here we go. You want a powerful prayer life? Man, here's Jesus, uh, God, teaching us how to pray. Some keys that I, uh, that I gleaned from this, if I could just do that a little bit with you and put them in my own words. The first thing is, pray that God will be honored in this world. This causes you to grow a heart of worship. When we're praying that God would be honored in the world, that he would be lifted up, that he would be recognized for who he is, and it gives our hearts an alignment with that, and we worship him because we lift him up. We do that first, and we're praying that that happens on the earth, and it's important. Number two, pray for God's will to be done, and this is why. God says, come to me and ask for anything, right? And we're told that we can bring requests, and we can bring our petitions, and everything that we need, and God's going to hear us. But he also says, Jesus says here, to pray that God's will will be done. Well, here's the reason for that. I'm bringing my requests, but at times my will is not lining up with what God's will is. I might think that it does. I might think that I've done the work to make sure that what I want to have happen is exactly what I see in scripture and what God would want to do, but I don't know. And so I always want to bring this piece into it where I'll go, God, here's my request. Here's what I want to see happen, but you're in charge. You're God and I'm not. And so I'm praying ultimately that your will would be done because I know that whatever that is, that's the best thing for every situation. I can trust it. And so that's how I pray. Um, third thing, ask for your needs to be met, 
Because this keeps you thankful for uh, and grateful for the things that you've been given, right? It's easy in the world we live in where we're told constantly that we need something else. And we deserve something else. And we don't have that or this. And the list grows of things we don't have. And what that does is get us off track to appreciate the things we do have. And God wants to say to us, and as we develop this uh, prayer pattern, that we ask for our needs to be met daily. And remember that the source of our needs being met is our Heavenly Father. It's not the world we live in. It's not our job. It's not all these other things that God might use to provide for us. But He is the source. Next, ask for forgiveness. It's a daily practice. It's important to practice this daily. Ask for forgiveness. And the reason for that, I think, in part, besides the fact that we need forgiveness, is that it keeps us humble. It helps to remind us that we have flaws. Because it's easy to begin to think that by comparing, you know, I'm doing pretty good. And, man, I've been following God a long time. And I kind of have it together. And we can uh, allow our egos to rise up. And we can get off track of recognizing where we stand before a holy God. And so it's important that we ask forgiveness. And I think we need to do that on a regular basis. Number five, or the next thing, is to forgive those who have wronged you. And the reason for that is that it keeps your soul clean. You know, it's been said that uh, having a heart of bitterness or unforgiveness and fostering that in our hearts is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill another person. Because when we allow unforgiveness, and listen, there's a daily thing. A lot of times we, have, we are wronged on a daily basis. And if we're not dealing with that, then our souls get clogged up with it. And before long, you may think, well, I don't make it. Ah, something happens, I let go of it, and I move on. I don't focus on the past. Yeah, but if you're not forgiving, if you're not practicing that in your prayer life, that stuff uh, clogs up your soul. And it affects your relationship with God. And so it does affect us. We need to keep our souls clean and forgiveness is one of those practices. I think it's interesting that Jesus says in this prayer that we ask for forgiveness from God, which we may know we need. And it's almost like it's contingent on. Yeah, and I've forgiven those that have sinned against me. So God forgive me. And uh, before I ask for your forgiveness, I'm recognizing or I'm letting you know that I've forgiven the other. Last, um, pray for deliverance from temptation. This causes you to stay focused on living a life honoring to Jesus. Listen, we're supposed to be moving in a progression where, we are, uh, where we're sinning less, right? This is the goal. This is what God's called us to, to set ourselves apart for him. And so we need to be moving in that direction, but we all experience temptation. And the struggle with temptation is real, and we need to go through that battle. There's a reason that God doesn't just take it all away, right? Because we need to struggle. We grow through that struggle. That's how we mature, Children leave home and begin to have to provide for themselves. Parents, that's what they're supposed to do. Okay, uh, they're supposed to provide for themselves. You're not supposed to keep providing for them forever. Okay, just some little hints. So they're, they're supposed to go and they're supposed to fight through and struggle. It can be hard to watch it as a parent. Man, we want to come in and rescue them. No, stop. You're, you're slowing down the maturing process. Let them struggle. They need to. This is how they develop. Now listen, we don't want to, you know, fall off a cliff or something. I'm not saying that, but allow him to struggle and, and to develop. This is the same for us. Our prayer to God that he would rescue us from a temptation. God, save me from this. It develops in us the strength to trust in him, but to walk through it and say no or say yes, whatever it might be. Uh, E.M. Bounds, an ancient man who was a man of prayer, 
said this, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. We need to be a church that knows how to pray, that practices prayer, that prays and believes that God is going to move. I pray with a group of men every week. Uh, I've been getting together with them. Giles was meeting with them and they were... uh, you know, they were gracious enough to say, hey, uh, Pastor John, we'll give you a shot if you meet with us. And man, let me tell you something. I'm encouraged by meeting with these men. We pray every week and we pray. Uh, we do some warfare, man. We're praying against the devil and his schemes. We're praying for God's will to be done. We're praying for provision that God would uh, fuel the things that he's a part of that we're doing. Guys, this is what we're supposed to be a part of. We need to learn how to pray. We need to be involved in prayer on a daily basis. We want to see God move in our lives. And that praying together is the second piece of prayer that we see in the scriptures, which is our community prayer life. Uh, Jesus' brother James talked about it in James chapter 5. He wrote this, verses 13 through 17. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, they will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. This earnest prayer of, or or, excuse me, the earnest prayer of a righteous person is great power and produces wonderful results. I love this example that he uses. He's trying to fuel their confidence in prayer. And he says, listen guys, Elijah was as human as we are. He's a human being, no different than you or me. But when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Point is, he's saying, church, Elijah was just a man like us. He prayed, he trusted God and amazing things happened. God moved. Listen, you're... Elijah is no different than you. He's a man like you. He had flesh. He wasn't some superpowered, uh, you know, half man and half angel or something. He was a human being, devoted his life to God, and he walked with God. And God moved powerfully through him. Uh, we're to agree on this earth over things. We agree together and pray together. Believers who pray together and believe together experience physical and spiritual healing. Now listen, this is in accordance with God's will. I'm not saying we all get healed. Every instance is a healing. That's not what I mean. But healing comes through our prayer together when we agree together and we know that God can do that and does. They find victory over sin and temptation, provision for their needs. They see the mountainous problems in their life moved. They see friends and loved ones that they care about coming to know Jesus. Our youth group is reaching uh, young people like crazy. I don't know if you're keeping up with it, but it's over 50 now that have come to Christ uh, in the last couple months. And I want to tell you, they lead with prayer. They're praying for their friends. They've been praying for them since the summer when they kind of went through a training and got uh, some training on how to reach out. They've been praying. Listen, we need to begin to pray for the people around us. James said to pray together and pray often. And Jesus told us, That when we agree on something in this earth and on this earth, when we agree together that the Father hears our prayers, he will move to answer. Matthew 18, 19 says this. I also tell you this. This is Jesus speaking. If uh, If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it 
for you. We need to come together. We need to recognize that we have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that we get to access the one who is all-powerful, who can move mountains, who can solve, uh, help us solve problems. He can carry us through difficulties. He can give us strength and power to stand when we need to. He has all things for us, and he wants us to access those things. He asked us to come to him. He asked us to come to him. Uh, there's a story told of a king who was meeting in his court with all of his uh, lead officials and advisors. He was holding court and they were making some important decisions for the kingdom. And uh, so as they met, it's very somber and serious and they're going through their list of items and they're talking in, in hushed, you know, important tones. And all of a sudden at the door to the courtroom was uh, clanging and, you know, a bunch of noise. And all of a sudden the door pops open and in rolls this little kid, this little boy. He rolls into the room and one of the king's uh, soldiers, one of his guards actually said, young man, don't you know you're going to be interrupting the king in his important business? And the little boy laughed and he said, he's your king, but he's my daddy. And so he ran to the king and jumped in his arms for an embrace. Listen, I want you to know something. A child of the king trumps any advisor, any important person. Guys, you have access and I have access to our father, the king. He loves us. He cares for us. He'll move on our behalf. Look, we've got to grow in our faith and our trust. We've got to interact with him more. As a church, we can do this together. That's one of the reasons we meet in life groups. I've seen it. I've been watching it as I met with other life groups that already exist here. Man, they, they share one another's burdens. They pray for each other. They lift each other up through seasons and struggles and battles that they face. And they're there to support each other. There's strength in that. As I said, next week kicks off our fall campaign. We're going to start going through this series, Be the Message. I want you to uh, maximize this opportunity to grow. I really want to see you get the most out of it. And so I'm going to push you a little bit. I'm just going to encourage you as your pastor, man. You guys need to be in a life group. we got opportunities out here. There's, li- there's spots on the sign-up sheets that aren't full. And so I know we have room. If we need more room, man, I will work to get more room. I believe God will provide that. But I want to encourage you, take a step. You want to see uh, your marriage grow stronger? Get in a life group. You want to see your prayers produce more results and have more power? Get in a life group and pray with other people. You want to see victory in your life and areas of struggle? Get in a life group. You want to grow in your faith? You want to follow Jesus more closely? Come on, man, get in a life group. I'm telling you, you'll be surprised at what kind of effect and impact it has. It's not a magic cure-all. I'm not saying that all your problems will go away. I'm just encouraging you that it will make a difference in your life. There's a spot for you. And so I'm just praying that uh, each one of you would take the time as you leave. Look at those spots. Find a group. Take a chance. Like I said, it's not a lifetime commitment. You're just signing up for a few weeks. But I know God's going to bless you through it. Okay? So let me pray for us. Don't forget on your way out, if you're in a life group, we have the interactive guides or the books that you need to go through the series. So grab one of those on your way out. And uh, let me pray to close us. God, thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you for a church that believes in empowering and equipping and supporting the people that attend. God, thank you for a church that fosters and grows the right things, the right opportunities. And God, I just pray for each person here that you would continue to work in their life, minister to them in the season that they're at. God, I know uh, some are going through some significant struggles. Some um, are in a season of loss. And Father, I just pray that your comfort would be felt, that your touch from you would be real and tangible for each one of us. 
And God, I pray as we move into a campaign next week where we're all going to grow together. God, that you would just make a spot for each person, that you would create enough opportunities that we can all participate, we can be a part of this, and we can grow together. God, I'm excited to see what you're going to do as we move through this series, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great week, and uh, let's use some of that power prayer that we have to pray for the Huskers for next time.